This is this is this is the Bottom Bends podcast. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome back to the Bottom Bends podcast. We're now going to be diving deep into game week two in the Premier League, which has seen a few surprising results and some results that, well, were pretty much well expected. So we're going to dive right in, folks, and go to the featured game this week, which is Brighton against Wolves. Wolves who were, you know, fairly unlucky to come away with no points against Manchester United, but well beaten in this game by top of the table, Brighton. Brighton now the first team um, since 2017-18 to record multiple uh, back-to-back four-goal scored basically in their opening two fixtures since since Manchester United and since Roberto De Zerbe um, has taken charge of Brighton which was on the 1st of October 2022 no side have averaged a higher non-penalty XG within the Premier League at 1.97 so even though we have Man City in the league undoubtedly the best team in the world technically the the most free-flowing and highest scoring team in the league is Brighton under Roberto De Zerbe. And Oren, really, you would say a stat like that just sort of compounds the job that De Zerbe's done and, and really highlights that that kind of style of football that De Zerbe wants to play. I mean, you know, they scored another four goals again. They really are just probably the best team to watch in the league, aren't they? Yeah, they're really, really good. Um, there's a reason why all their players are signing... Um, for, for other clubs, their, their best players are signing for other clubs for in excess of 50 up towards upwards of 100 million quid. Like, um, yeah, Deserby's done an absolutely fantastic job since he came in. Um, and obviously, there was a lot of scrutiny when he did come in because he was quite an unknown coming from Shakhtar Donetsk, um, especially after the job that Graham Potter had done with Brighton. Um, but he's even lifted them to new heights, which I don't even think Brighton fans thought was possible because I, I would say they were hitting way above their expectations under Graham Potter. Um, but yeah, he's done absolutely fantastic. Got them European football. Um, as you said, I know it's only two games, but top of the league, and um, they're they're playing some, some good, good football. Especially, like, we've seen Wolves' performance against Manchester United last week, and, you know, they, they dominated United last week, especially in midfield. And to be fair, in this game, despite the scoreline, you know, Wolves' midfield was still making them progressive runs, um, but once again, they couldn't finish. It was the same problem as they had last week, and the same problem they've had in the last couple of years. They just couldn't finish. Um, but Brighton, they seem to be that well-vexed team now. You know, you could almost pick Brighton starting 11. Um, you know, the, they're, they're guaranteed goals because um, they are so well-gelled and well-suited to each other. Um, so you know if they get a chance, if they get the chances that Wolves get, they're going to put them away. Um, so that's Wolves' problem at the minute, and that's that's a real issue for Gary O'Neill to solve in the next few weeks. Um, but Brighton, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Another 4-1 victory. Um, I think, that once again, there's positives from both sides, to be fair, um, despite Wolves losing 4-1. But um, Brighton just need to keep doing what they're doing because it's going to be a very, very long season with European football and domestic competitions. Um, but... You know, we praise them every single week about their transfer business. You know, they've got all these young players that we've never heard of on the bench that are going to come on and be absolute worldies in the Premier League. They're going to be worldies in the Europa League. Um, So even if it comes to an injury or whatever, like I know the likes of Matoma and all are so important for Brighton, but I really, really do trust Deserby and Brighton's 
um, recruitment team that they've already got Matoma's replacement in the squad. Yeah, exactly, lad. I mean, the business that they've done, like if you tot up even the transfer fees that they've spent, you know, since Deserby has come in, they're still sitting, you know, below the 100 million mark. And every one of those transfers that comes in just does seem to be a hit right from the off. I mean, one such transfer from last season was um, Billy Gilmore, who had a, a massive role within this game. Um, he completed uh, 69 um, out of his 70 passes attempted yesterday. Really was the tempo setter um, in midfield for Brighton. Um, Purvis Estupinian, again, a player that we highlighted last week. He was actually my fantasy pick of the week. He managed to pick up a goal and an assist. Uh, really took it, took his goal very well. Looked like a striker rather than a left back. Uh, the opening goal from Matoma to take the ball from the wing go on that run, cut inside three or four players and still manage to have the quality to find the finish. You're just seeing Brighton sort of playing on a different level at the minute. And really, you know, Connor, what I would, would want to put to you is, are they are they legitimate top four contenders? And look, I know we're only two games in. It is very, very early on in the season. But you would have to say they don't really show any signs of not playing this style of football and not playing at this intensity level. Yes, having European competition is going to tire the squad, but I mean, could you realistically see Deserby finding a way to get this squad challenging for the top five within the Premier League? Yeah, definitely. Like they came sixth last season. Uh, they've obviously lost huge players in their squad, but as um, Orn was saying, they have some really good players. Uh, you know, even I was looking at their bench, like the Hood, Pedro, Lalana, Ferguson, Milner, boys like that, like really good players. Uh, I do think they have to reinforce, you know, they have to get players in. I've seen uh, Deserby came out and said that. He says we need at least one one or two signings, especially in midfield to uh, replace Casado, uh, who he said, like, losing him uh, changes the way they play. Uh, I think Wolves, you know, obviously it wasn't, a, it was actually a tight enough game. If you look at the stats at the same amount of shots on target, it was just, they weren't clinical. And also the way they play it, I think Gary O'Neill came out and was like, we kind of went for them, which I think suits Brighton because Brighton are such a good, you know, counter-attacking side. They can also play with the ball. It's, you know, they're just an all-round team. Uh, as you said, some of the players I have, like Matoma, his first goal was unbelievable. He just walked through three or four lads and with a great finish, uh, which was actually surprising. It was his first goal in 13 Premier League games. Uh, and Sully Marsh as well. I think he needs a bit of appreciation because since uh, Deserby's come to the club, he's turned into a different player. Um, I've seen Deserby said that to him as well. He says you need to add goals to your game, and he's done that from he's come to the club. He has been one of their best players. Uh, but yeah, Bright- Brighton are definitely contenders for top five. They came sixth last year and they dropped a lot of silly points. So if they can consistently score goals the way they're doing it, um, last season was kind of like they were missing a lot of chances, but. Even like Danny Welbeck's playing well, that Ferguson, I think, will come more into the squad. Uh, definitely top, top four, top five is definitely a realistic possibility. Yeah, you know, I think um, even the way that he's managing Ferguson at the minute, you know, I, th- I think it's actually very, very intelligent, very smart. You know, I think the one thing we forget is because we, we speak about Ferguson with such high praise, I think we almost tend to forget that he is only 18 years of age. And I mean, to have him as a starter week in, week out, in a team, you know, would that hinder his progress? Is the way Deserby manage him at the minute, the minute, you know, the best way to get the best return from him? And I would say it probably is. You know, he's not, he's not treating him as Brighton's sole number nine, and and I think that that is, 
you know, the best way to manage him. I mean, look, lads, it was a 2.3 to a 2.1 XG um, to Brighton. As Connor said, uh, the, they did manage the, the same shots on target. They, they had 16 shots in the game each. Uh, the interesting thing was that Sally March said after the game that the game plan was really to, to make runs into the box, and that's where they were going to be successful. And ultimately, that is where they were successful. Uh, you look at Sally March's two goals, just as an example, where he makes a clever movement inside the box and almost gets a, an unmarked finish for, for both of them. Um, it was three Brighton goals in the space of eight minutes and 32 seconds, which completely unraveled and, and killed off the game. Oren, I mean, look, 2.3 to 2.1 XG, there, there's not much of a difference there, really. That's It's not massive, in fact. So, you know, when you look at Wolves in particular, if they keep creating the number of chances that they're creating, there is going to be a turn within that squad where they are going to start scoring goals. So does that give you sort of hope for them that, yeah, look, they're creating enough that shouldn't really go down this year? It is very early to say. Um, like, I was speaking to Connor about this game um, the other day. I, I watched the game. Like live, I watched it live, and I just thought, you know, four one was a very flattering scoreline to Brighton. Um, I did think Wolves, you know, I I thought they played okay. Um, I I thought I seen a lot of qualities that I seen against Manchester United, and yes, to an extent, they're creating all these chances they have to finish, but they don't have that one player who's gonna get them fifteen goals a season. Do you know what I mean? They don't have that out and out striker, and they're relying on Matias Cunha, who's never been prolific. Um, but yes, he's definitely added to his game this year. You can see the progress he's made even in preseason. Um, to uh, he's working on his game, but um, yeah, I, I think it it really could be difficult for for Wolves. Um, and I don't know. I I honestly don't know because I don't think it's really been a case of them not creating chances in the past couple of years, and they've still been fighting relegation. Um, personally. It's only two games. I'm sticking with my prediction that they're going to go down. Obviously, that's going to change or could change throughout the season. Um, I don't think Gary O'Neill's going to be there at the end of the season. Um, but that's neither here nor there. You know what I mean? Wolves are creating chances. It will just take maybe one or two goals. It, it's going to take... They need three points on the board. In the next three weeks, it, it's crucial for them to get three points on the board. Um because they're they're well, them and Everton are, are sitting in the last two spots at the minute, um, of the Premier League, and you know that's that's very telling because they've spent a lot of their time there. Both teams have spent a lot of their time there in the last few years in in that relegation zone. Um, so it is just going to take maybe a, a couple of signings. The window's still open, and I would say like Gary O'Neill's not stupid. I would say he's been looking in the market for a striker that could come in and. Uh, Hopefully they get one in the next couple of weeks because I actually I have, I have quite a soft spot for Wolves. I, I've always kind of liked Wolves, um, but they do need they need a striker that's going to be finishing them chances because yeah they're creating them, um, and and there's no doubt about that. But it, it'll be very very difficult unless they get that one player who's going to finish them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, the thing I noticed most about them was um, when when Huang Hee Chan come on against United uh, last week, I actually thought he, he really troubled United, gave, gave us a lot of bother. And then he's the guy that, you know, comes on off the bench and scores the goal for Wolves this week. And it was sort of making me think, you know, why can't this guy get in the team? You know, most times that I've actually sat and watched Wolves live, I've actually been very impressed with Huang Hee Chan. I think he's probably been one of their better attackers. So I think, that could be an, an option that they explore. Connor, 
it, oh, Sorry, it was, his goal was brilliant, no. and right after that, he could have assisted a goal as well. But Aitner, he took a bad touch. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I completely agree. the The goal, the way he heads it back across the goal, that's a difficult skill to do. And yeah. I mean, fair play to him for 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 notching it in at the end. Um, Connor Matas Nunez was sent off within the game. Um, he look, he, he's a player that came for a big transfer fee last summer. He didn't really hit the ground running. The performances were a little bit better towards the back end of last season, but there you go. He started this season and a, a calamity, really, you know, and gets sent off in the, the added time period when really there was no call for it whatsoever. You know, I know he is a massive money signing, but is he a player that realistically Wolves might look and say, that's not really the the direction that we want to go in? Um, difficult to say. I thought last week he actually played quite well, and uh, this week he was okay as well. He just, you know, silly Ray Kjord. I, I think they'll stick with him. To be honest, I don't think Wolves don't have the money to to really spend. Uh, I seen Gary O'Neill done like an interview before uh, Monday Night Football, and he was kind of like, "This is my squad. Uh, I've just got to kind of accept it." And that, that's it. Like the the play Everton next week, which is huge, and obviously Nunes is going to be a huge miss because that game kind of feels massive, which is crazy to say after three games. But Everton do not look good and Wolves need three points. Wolves have actually looked good, but they need three points. Um but yeah with Wolves, like I actually I said they would go down and I kind of looking at their squad is it's not a bad squad. They do have some players on the bench that aren't bad either. And you know if Nori scores that goal to make it one one it's a totally different game. Um but yeah with Nunes he is going to be a huge player for them this season. With Cunha, he needs to just learn how to finish because he has shown a lot in the first few games and they spent a lot of money on him. Um, but yeah, with Wolves, it's it's just hard to know. It's just two games. I, I would actually feel more confident about Wolves staying up than teams like Everton, Sheffield United, Luton. But uh, I think they'll keep Nunes because I think he's going to be a big player for them this season. Yeah. I, I, again, Wolves are just kind of one of those projects that, you know, I feel like I said every week that we know we'll just have to wait and see, but I mean we are only two games in, so we genuinely will just have to wait and see and see how how these players get on as the season progresses. Um, but moving it on then, lads, to the the second game that we're going to cover, we're going to head to the the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Spurs beating Man United two 0 first time they've beaten United um at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium since it opened. Um. Lads, really, I mean, building on what we said from last week's podcast, you know, last season United winning just six points away from home um, against the top six. And it's looking like the 23-24 season could be much of the same for United away from home against the top teams in the Premier League. Um, it was at a, a two... Uh, a 2.0 to a 1.8 xg actually in favor of united and i mean when we when we run through some of the chances that united actually missed you know the bruno header the the rashford chance i mean oren look building on what we said on monday you know all all three of us were disappointed with how united performed they managed to get the win against wolves didn't manage to get the win here what are the biggest concerns at this present moment in time for manchester united that's a big question. Um, look, United in the first half played really, really well. And I think any neutral football fan, any United fan, any Spurs fan would admit that. That United realistically should have went into halftime. Um, could have been two goals up, do you know what I mean? Um, it just seemed to be one of them days for Man United. Look, they didn't play well. They didn't play where they're expected to play. 
um we we've had this conversation personally the three of us uh, since the game and um, we're all kind of scratching our heads as to why United saying Mason Mount. We're not necessarily saying he's a bad player, but in terms of fitting Ten Hag's system, doing the groundwork and being that um that player right next to Casemiro, it it looks like a it just looks like a misprofile signing at the minute. Obviously, it's only two games in that could really really turn around, and uh, but it does look like a misprofile signing, especially for sixty million pounds. Um, he didn't do too bad in the first half um, but the second half well all of United really went missing um, but there was just different points of the game that could have been turning points for United um, I think even though he conceded two goals Andre Onana was absolutely fantastic for United we've seen his range of passing um, especially when he, he played that he, he came out from the box and, and played that long ball to Garnacho. Um again that was another chance that, that, that we wasted Um there was defining moments in the game, like Romero's handball that could have been a hand, or that could have been a penalty quite easily. I think in, on a different day that was given on a penalty or to a different team, perhaps. Um, you know, when when Spurs scored their first goal under Papa Sar, uh, which was a great goal by the way. He he needed to be in the right position at the right time, and he was, and it was a great finish. Um, you know, two minutes after that, Anthony went up and hit the post. Um, and again, that could have been another defining moment. But look, Spurs took the chances. Um, I did think we've seen. Look, to me, United still need signings. Um, and yes, it's been a good window in the sense of the players that we have signed. They have been in positions that we needed. Um, however, we still need defensive stability, in my opinion. Um, I felt that for both goals, um, you know, the defending could have been better. The man marking could have been a bit better. I thought Rafael Varane got quite exposed in the second goal. He pushed up with James Madison. Um, Alain... Um, I think it was Son on the left hand side to to play to be played through and then play the ball into Ben Davies. Um, look, it just it could have been better from United. Spurs well deserved for their win. I've watched Celtic for the past few years under Ange Postecoglou. This style of football does not surprise me, um, and and I expect Spurs to do really really well this season, especially without in, sorry including without Harry Kane. Um, I just think he is a really good man manager in terms of implementing his style into a team quite quickly. Um, and even if you look at Celtic now, you know they're struggling under Brendan Rodgers. It shows how good a manager Ange was because they haven't lost too many of Ange's players. Um, so I, I expect Spurs to have a good season. I think it's a really, really good result for them, especially at this crucial point of the season against a team like United. Um, two results for them: Brighton and, or sorry, Brentford and United. Um, getting four points from that game at any point of the season from them two games is, is a really really good turnout um, so yeah promising for Spurs um, United really really need to turn around next week at Nottingham Forest and to be honest it's probably the best game that could have came for United at this point a team that's not expected to beat United that's quite low down the table um, so I'm expecting a big big performance and a big big turnaround for United next week yeah, I mean, look, as you said, Oren, all praise to Spurs. I mean, the the one thing you would say about them is when the chances presented themselves, they took those opportunities. And really, just to highlight two players, um, guys, Saar, the, the goal scorer for the first goal, um, and Basuma in midfield. I mean, it was the one thing we said about United last, last week. You know, they were too easy to play through in midfield. And really, Saar and Basuma just exposed that even more. Um, their athletic ability, uh, their technical ability, uh, Saar's ability to find himself in spaces, really driving forward from midfield, which is something that Spurs have really lacked over... Well, 
probably since Christian Eriksen and Dele Alli played for the club, that, that ability to to drive a midfielder forward and, and push him into the box. And we just haven't seen that from Spurs in a while. So Saar was, was almost the perfect man there. Um, but just on Basuma, no player has attempted more ball carries in the Premier League this season than Basuma with his 57. Um, while his tally of 33 progressive ball carries is also the highest in the Premier League so far. So really what you would say is Postacoglu is getting a tune out of Basuma. He looks more comfortable now at Spurs. He is that driving force in midfield. And he and Madison and Saar, I think, is a midfield three that looks very underrated um, at the minute and maybe isn't you know getting as much praise as it deserves. Connor, it was six shots on target each. As Oren mentioned there when Anthony hit the post, it seemed as though that goal was cursed because Spurs hit the crossbar and hit the post in the first half in that goal. Um, look, obviously United are playing without a number nine at the minute, but Connor, like realistically, is that United's you know biggest issue? Is, is it that we're just not playing with a striker? Is there nobody in there really to take the to take the goal scoring burden? I mean, look, we we all know Rashford's not a striker. You know, what 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 is it in your opinion that that's not going right um, currently? Yeah, actually, the first half I thought we played really well. I seen with the most shots for an away side in the Premier League since two thousand and eight. Um, so we dominated the first half, but I think that is it. We're missing that number nine. Um. Obviously, we've signed one and hopefully he'll be fit maybe for the Forest game um, because that's not Rashford's position. Uh, I think Ten Hag knew we were missing a nine, kind of wanted Kane or uh, Osman, but just obviously wasn't provided the funds. Uh, it was a really good game, like game of two halves kind of thing. Um, you know, United got dominated in midfield. I think Mount, as we said, like 60 million on a guy. Obviously, you don't want to rule him out after two games, but a player that I actually didn't rate very highly at all. I don't really see what he brings to the team. Uh, defensively, not good enough. And going forward, he, he hasn't offered much so far. I know it's only two games, but I think the money could have been spent in better positions. A player that Ten Hag seems to really like and really wanted. So we just got to give it time. But um, the penalty was unlucky. It was something to do with proximity. Like it was too close. Uh, I thought I thought Spurs as well. We said about Basuma last week, he was brilliant again. Really, really good confidence is just flowing through him, and he's showing it. He's he's really showing like he can attack, which I didn't really see much from from last year, or the, I think he said yeah last year. But at Brighton, he showed a bit more of. Um, just shows what Ange can do. He can bring confidence to a team. Uh, second half, they were a lot better. You know, United did hit the post, and their goalkeeper was very good too. Uh, Vicario, he made a few brilliant saves. Even at one nil, uh, the Casemiro header was a great save. So for United, there is positives to take after last week where there was no positives to take, just the result winning. But um, for Spurs, they're really exciting to watch. And they're just, they are thrilling to watch. I just think a better side would have had them killed off in the first half. But as the season goes on, Ange will improve that team. Um, I don't think he got off to the best start at Celtic as well. So it does take time, obviously, at a new club. I've seen as well, like he's unbeaten in 49 home games, which is... Crazy. That's stemming back to his time um, uh, where he was in China, I think. Uh, but yeah, United United need a, I think they need a striker in quickly. Um, hopefully be fit for Force. I think Force is a good game again. We could look silly and they could get beat 3-0, but I think Force is a good game to come back to because uh, then I think they play Arsenal the week after. Yeah. But it's a, it's a weird old game because you you have as many shots on target. You have as many. You have more shots and spurs away from home. You're the better side in the first half. You just don't take your chances. They get the first goal. The crowd gets in it. 
and it's a totally different game. So it's it's a hard one. To, it's a hard one to take to be honest. The losing that two 0 because I don't think we deserved it. But full credit to Spurs, they took their chances. You know, Sars finish was really good, and then a bit of calamity at the back from Martinez. But fair play to Spurs, and you know, I still think Spurs have a long way to go. But uh, four points from Brentford away and United at home is is good going. Yeah, that is. That is. And look, full, full credit to Spurs on, on that result. Moving it to Anfield then, lads, for Liverpool and Bournemouth. Liverpool 3-1 winners. Uh, really, aside from like the first 20 minutes, it was pretty plain sailing for Liverpool. Um, big talking point within the game, lads, I in my opinion, is the Alexis McAllister sending off. Um, sent off on his home debut. Um, Oren... We actually had a wee bit of a debate about this yesterday, um, uh, but, but you know when we were out. And look, in my opinion, I think it was soft because yes, there is contact there. His foot is high. His like his foot is up, and the studs are showing. But I personally felt like there wasn't a whole lot of force behind the tackle. You know, I think if he had sprinted in and and really like stamped down on 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 the player coming out, I think it was Christie. I. I could understand it a wee bit more then. To me, that was a yellow card tackle, not a red card tackle. Um, so just interested to, to, to get your opinion on it. No, I agree. I agree. I just feel that, you know, we talked about, like Liverpool have appealed this red card. Um, and, you know, I agree. It was quite a soft red card. But with when the on-field referee gave a straight red and went to VAR, you know, I know slow motion shows everything worse than it actually is. But, it was, at the end of the day, it was a studs-up tackle. Whether there was the same force that a potential red guard tackle could have had, you know, um, probably not. But VAR can't really overturn that decision because it's not clear and obvious that it wasn't a dangerous challenge. Um, so, yeah, look, he's got the red guard. I don't see the appeal being upheld either. Um, I think he'll, he'll keep his ban. Um, so... It's a difficult one. It's a difficult one because he, he was just breaking into that Liverpool team and showing his qualities, especially alongside uh, Dominic Shabazzle, who was fantastic, by the way, in the match. Um, so, yeah, it'll be a, a difficult one for him to take because he's not that type of player. You know, he's, he would never go out to, to hurt someone. So I think he'd be disappointed in himself. Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, I think he'd be disappointed in himself. Um but yeah, look, for me personally, not a red card. I can see why it was given. Um, but at the end of the day, it didn't impact the match at all. It could have, but it didn't impact the match at all. And Liverpool actually played really well the other day. Um, and they came out 3-1 victors. Louis Diaz scoring an absolutely fantastic goal. Uh, Mohamed Salah again missing another penalty. He was lucky to get a rebound. Um, and and uh, Diogo Jota scoring a good goal as well. Uh, all in all, a good performance from from Liverpool. Um, a, a needed win at, at this time. Um, Bournemouth, you know they they picked up where they left off last week. They had another decent performance at Anfield. You know they had the goal in the net twice in the first three minutes. Um, the first one being disallowed for offside, um, and then the second one a good finish by Semenyo. Um, so there's positives to take for Bournemouth as well. But um, yeah, in terms of the right yard. I agree with you, Connor. I don't think it was a red card, but do I see it being changed? No. Yeah, look, I mean, 
yeah, it is just a difficult one, really, guys. It, it really, really is. But look, like you said, Oren, a lot of positives for Liverpool. They actually did seem to improve whenever they went down to 10 men. They seemed to actually start playing some really, really good football. I mean, Diaz's goal is absolutely fantastic. To have the ability to chip it up to yourself and then overhead kick it into the net. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> that's, that's a sign of a quality player. Um, Salah getting up to 200 Premier League goal involvements. Diaz and Sabazlay with the most attacking sequences in the game. I thought Sabazlay was absolutely phenomenal. I, I really, really thought he was great. And a 3.1 to a 1.3 XG in favour of Liverpool. So they were great value for their goals. Um, Connor, we got to see the, the introduction of Endo sort of in the last uh, 20, 25 minutes of the game. Um, he looked very bright when he came on. And really, you know, at 16 million euros, this is an experienced guy. He's played for Stuttgart for the last number of years. He's in the last season, he was in the uh, Bundesliga's top six players for possession recovered and progressive passes as well. So showing that he's not the traditional six, but that he can get it done on sort of both ends um, of the pitch. Um, what what does a signing like that do for Liverpool? Do you think they still need to maybe go into the market and sign an out and out six, or is this a, a good stopgap replacement for the minute? I think they need to go out and get another six. To be honest, um, obviously he did he did well. He came on, he solidified the win. Uh, it didn't really look like conceding after um, they went down to ten men, so he did his job. But I do think they will go after a number six because they will need it. Uh, obviously a long long season ahead and I think if the weight and there's injuries in the team they're in big trouble so it's a very important position uh, I was just going to say about Diaz I thought he was unbelievable and I think he was a huge miss for Liverpool last season with the injury because he was playing really really well before that um, two goals in two games uh, I've seen he's involved in 15 goals in 30 games for Liverpool I think he's just a really direct player and a, a really exciting player as you said his finish was unbelievable he finished well last week as well um, Liverpool at home as well like 10 wins 3 draws in their last 13 they're a different team at home Bournemouth never really had a chance even with the McAllister red which I didn't think was a red either and it, but I don't think it should be uh, overturned just because uh, as Owen said the referee agreed and the VAR agreed and it was similar to Casemiro's which I didn't think was a red either and it never got overturned so I think it should stand uh, but yeah Endo Bosley was brilliant as well a really exciting player but I do think they need reinforcement in that position just in case of injury. And I think they will play a lot better teams. I think at Chelsea last week, uh, they were exposed. So I think Bournemouth, obviously not insulting them too much, but they're going to play a lot better than that, uh, a lot better opposition than that. So was it a real test? I don't know. 15 minutes. We'll just have to see him, wait and see what he produces over the next few months. Yeah, I mean... The goal that, that Bournemouth got, and like you also highlighted, or in the offside goal as well, came from mistakes from Allison. Um, and really over the past couple of seasons, we have actually seen Allison sometimes be a wee bit calamitous with the ball. You know, he is a keeper that's praised for his ability to play out. He's a keeper that's praised for his uh one on one um situational goalkeeping. But you know, that that would if, if say that goal had a stood, you know, and the game finishes three two, you know, that's two goals that are almost gifted to Bournemouth. So, you know, do, do you believe that that maybe highlights Liverpool's, you know, sort of defensive frailties maybe creeping back in from last season? Potentially. Potentially. Um but yeah, we've we've seen it in the past couple of seasons, you know, Alisson, he has an error in him. Um even though he is really good at playing from the back and he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He does have an error in him, like most goalkeepers. Um, but I don't think Liverpool, 
especially in the last two years, I've still found that solidified back four of theirs. Um, you know, Kanata is a decent centre-back, but do you think he should be starting for Liverpool? Probably not. Um, I know, and, and I know a lot of Liverpool fans, including Stevie, they all thought Trent was going to be a midfielder this year, and I said, not a chance. He's the only right-back you've got at the club that's half-decent. Um, and half-decent is a stretch for, for in terms of his defensive capabilities. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult for them. I don't think they really have the ability to play out from the back just yet. Um, and same as Connor said, they need reinforcements in the right areas, and I think defence is one of them areas. Yeah, it's again, like I keep saying about all these teams, it's interesting. It is interesting. Uh, moving on to Man City and Newcastle then, lads, um, which was the, the final game on, on Saturday night. City coming out 1-0 victors. Um, look, I mean, the game itself, it was fairly even. I know Newcastle maybe didn't create a lot of you know clear-cut chances, but they definitely stuck in the game and they definitely made it difficult for City to break them down. It was a very physical game. There was a lot of big tackles, uh, a lot of strong challenges in there. You know, you could really see Newcastle trying to impose themselves on the game. But that's Man City winning their 15th successive Premier League home game against Newcastle, um, which is a a crazy, crazy stat when you think about it. Um, Phil Foden with seven open play chances created. uh, That's the most he has ever had in a Premier League game. And really what you would say is this game was the Phil Foden show. Oren, it was 1.1 to 0.3 XG in favour of Manchester City. Uh, Phil Foden creating those chances, really looking like a star, stepping in for De Bruyne with De Bruyne going to be out for a number of months. Were you impressed with him in particular? Yeah, I put him straight in my fantasy. He was he was fantastic, to be honest. Um, me and me and Connor were watching the match, and all we were doing was praising how good Phil Foden was playing. Um, and I think you know it gets a bit more credit if some of the balls that he did play through to Holland, if he had to finish them, you know, Foden could have been getting all the plaudits. You know, I think is he. I think even though he won man of the match and stuff, and yes, he's um. He, People are knowing his stats in terms of his chances created and stuff. I still do think his performance went quite underrated. Um, he was running through the midfield of of uh, Newcastle, which is very, very, very difficult to do because that's a very solid midfield. Um, but yeah, the game only ended one nil. Uh, Foden was brilliant. Uh, I thought Julian Alvarez, Alvarez was really, really good too, and I thought his goal was really well taken. Maybe Pope could have done a little bit better. Um, you know, he got a, he got quite a strong hand to it and palmed it into the net. But um, overall, brilliant result for for Man City. But still, there's positives to take from uh, Newcastle. Like Eddie Howe was coming out of that game disappointed that he didn't take something away from the travel winners. And that just shows how far Newcastle have come in the last two years. Yeah, absolutely, Orn. Absolutely. I think, you know, to, to come out with a statement like that just shows you the progression within Newcastle and the belief that, that is in there. You know, I don't think Newcastle just see themselves as a team that's going to challenge the top five. I think Newcastle maybe view themselves as a team that should be challenging for a title. Um, and I know for Newcastle fans, they're maybe just a wee bit off that just yet. But, I mean, if your manager's coming out with that kind of intensity and that attitude, look, maybe that's being instilled into the players and maybe that's what they what they believe and, and, and the belief in the manager. Um, Connor, Holland maybe showed us uh, that he is human after all. A um, couple of big chances missed uh, against Newcastle. And really, although he was in the game, yes, he 
did look to sort of struggle a little bit, especially when he when he was trying to sort of get shots off. Um, Foden was creating a lot for him, but just seemed as though the finish was missing. Um, does and and this is just I'm not trying to stir up a narrative or anything here, but would it worry you that you know if Haaland isn't effective in a game, City don't really have somebody else to go to, you know. You look at Alvarez, Alvarez gets the goal, but he's playing a wee bit deeper this season. Um, they've no Mares anymore. Grealish is getting limited minutes. Um, without Haaland scoring goals, now by all means, I'm not saying they'll struggle to score goals, but do you think maybe there is at the minute just a lack of options within the City squad at the minute that if Haaland underperforms, they maybe don't score as many goals? Uh, nah, not really, to be honest. I think they do have the quality there, even like Bernardo Silva, they have your boy Palmer. They have obviously Grealish, they have um, Alvarez, they have some really good players. I thought Haaland actually, you know, obviously missed chances, but he done very well to get into them chances, like get into the position to get them chances. I thought Newcastle have Botman was very good. Um, but as a City fan, I wouldn't be very worried. I thought actually didn't play that great, but, you know, the, it was a, like I know Newcastle done okay, but it was a pretty comfortable win. Newcastle only had one shot on target. Um, and I think Eddie Howe was disappointed after the game, even though they played well, it was just they didn't create enough. And I thought the backline as well, Walker, Kanji, uh, Diaz and Vardial were brilliant. Like they're really solid and Vardial looks like an unbelievable signing already. Like he was very, very good. You know, you have Radri in front of them as well. City are going to be very hard to break down this year. Um, but for Holland, he, he does miss chances. I, I said it last year, he had the most big chances missed. But... You know, he's a quality player and he's going to get you 30 plus goals if he stays fit. And I think Alvarez this season will contribute more if he plays. Phil Foden was unbelievable, as you said, seven chances created. Um, just brazing past players. Uh, and De Bruyne like, was, is a miss, but Foden is, is a quality, quality player. And as, as the season goes on, I know they didn't use any subs, but I think Grealish will get game time. All these players will get game time and I, I don't think City will be lacking goals. Yeah, look, the interesting thing, guys, is that City have just signed um, Jeremy Doku, um, the the Belgian winger. Um, Oren, we actually had a, had a bit of a chat about this last night. You know, it seemed as though a few years ago that profile of player that Doku is is what Pep actually sort of culled from the Man City squad. You know, get rid of Sterling, get rid of Sané. They were very sort of soloist players, individuals, flair players, and it seemed as though that's what Pep was maybe trying to move away from. So. This profile of signing is a bit strange for me because I sort of think to myself, you know, you're not really a natural Mares replacement as such. You know, he's not a, he's not known for being a team player. He's an in behind score goals kind of kind of guy. But do you think maybe Owen that Papa's kind of a, evolving himself and maybe this type of signing is something that he goes well look, yeah maybe he's not the traditional Mares replacement, but he offers us something different. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, and it, he mightn't be a natural Mares replacement right now, but you know he's still a kid. He's he's very very young, um. So it could be molded into him, and who better to do that than, than probably the best manager in the world, Pep Guardiola. Um, look, he's a highly highly rated right winger. Um, sixty million quid. You know, City don't spend big big money unless they're sure of their targets. Um, so. I expect the exact same as I expect from any Manchester City signing goals and just prolific performances, to be honest. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he's integrated into the team because, you know, last year we seen Julian Alvarez playing a lot of his game time on the right wing. And 
I don't remember a bad Julian Alvarez performance last year. Like I think he ended up with over fifteen goals in all competitions, and that was mostly coming off the bench. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he comes straight into the team or not. But yeah, I'm not. You know, Pep Guardiola knows what he's doing. I'm not worried about that signing for Manchester City. I think he'll turn out to be a world beater as well. Um, and hopefully not just a sixty million pound of Damatore. Yeah. 17 goals Alvarez actually managed last season, Oren, which is crazy to think, considering the limited minutes that he actually played. I mean, just highlights how good of a player Julian Alvarez is, really. Um, well, moving it on, lads, we'll go to West Ham and Chelsea, the London Stadium. West Ham, very impressive, managing uh, to score three goals uh, to Chelsea's one. Um Look, lads, just a bit of a, a diamond stat. Uh, Chelsea have just won one of their last 14 Premier League games. The rest have been five draws and eight losses. And they're winless in six Premier League games since a 3-1 win at Bournemouth in May. And since then, they've drawn three and lost three. It just seems as though, really, you know, we, we praised Chelsea last week and we, we see a bit of a transformation in them. And then it's almost as though this week gets, oh, no. Normal service resumes at Chelsea and they are leaky at the back and conceding silly goals. Oren, I mean, all credit to West Ham in all seriousness, you know, to get to score three goals against a defence that's considered, you know, quite good. It's a positive step in the right direction for West Ham, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Considering before the, the start of the season, we were all thinking David Moyes wouldn't be with West Ham anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's brilliant for them. Um you know, Lucas Piquetta, amid all the controversy this week, he, he pulled out a really, really good performance. Um, yeah, there's a lot of positives to take from West Ham. A good attack and display, especially against a very defensive Chelsea side. Um, but I said it last week, boys, you know, spending all that money does not guarantee success. Um, and especially, like we've seen Moises Casado, who we've all said is a fantastic player, and there's absolutely no doubt in that. Um, you know, he came for £115 million, but the one point we made last week about Chelsea was the transfers that are coming in now haven't had that pre-season to deal with or to, to gel with the players that are around them and to mould into Mauricio Pochettino's style so it's going to be very very difficult and we've seen that with Caicedo who ultimately gave away the penalty to make 3-1 in the in the final moments of the, of the, of the game um, so yeah look it's not going to be as easy for Mauricio Pochettino as people think just because he's spending all this money and because he is a highly regarded manager so you know, I'd be quite worried if I was a Chelsea fan, especially for the next couple of weeks. Um, and I know it is top five this year, but I still just, I just don't think that's guaranteed for them based on the money that they've spent. Because, you know, they were horrible last season. And they haven't, like, yes, they've sold a lot of players, but they haven't sold a lot of their starting 11 players that they had last year. Do you know what I mean? So... And as Roy Keane famously said about Manchester United, a leopard doesn't change the spots. So there's still problems in that Chelsea side. I mean, look, the goals that West Ham scored, you know, we look at the debut of, of James Ward-Price, manages to get two assists. And the one thing you would say is, I mean, I didn't think Ward-Price actually played particularly well in the game, but the ball that he played to Antonio was inch perfect. And the one thing you know you get from Ward-Price is dead ball specialist. The corner delivery into Aguard is, a, is as good a corner as you're going to see hit this season. Um, look, in the game, Chelsea did have, you know, sort of the better share of the chances. It was a 1.8 to a 2.4 XG in favour of Chelsea. West Ham overperforming their XG, Chelsea underperforming. I actually thought Sterling had the best 
performance in a Chelsea shirt that I've seen him have for, from from he signed from Manchester City. Sterling and Enzo with five um, attacking sequence involvements. That was the, the, the most by um, any players on the pitch. And just an interesting stat on Sterling as well, lads. That's the 24th penalty that Sterling has won in his Premier League career. It's the most in Premier League history. Nobody has won more penalties than, than Raheem Sterling. Just shows when he gets in the box, he's tricky, hard to deal with, and defenders do get drawn to him and tend to take him down. I mean, Connor, if Enzo Fernandez scores that penalty, we could be looking at a different game altogether. But the one thing you would say is all credit to Ariola from he's come into the to the West Ham goal this season. He's really performed. Yeah, definitely. It was a game changer. I was going to say, I thought Chelsea played very well first half. I thought they were the far better side. They conceded a silly early goal, obviously from a corner set piece where Connor Gallagher got put on Aguard and, you know, the, the mismatch. And a brilliant ball by Ward Prowse, who we know, as you said, has is a set piece specialist. Um, the the penalty was a game changer when they missed that penalty, and then West Ham come out second half, get that goal, the crowd gets up, and I thought West Ham just defended the game really well. I thought Sterling, as you said, was unbelievable, especially first half. He was destroying them. He's just walking past guys. Um, they missed a, Chelsea missed a few big chances. Uh, I thought Jackson, uh, again, a really exciting player, but just. His finishing is just not up to scratch um, at the minute. But uh, the second half, Chelsea did kind of fall apart. Uh, Saito came on, was really disappointing, gave away a, penalty, a silly penalty. Just a, you know, just an angry moment, just uh, you know, just frustration. But West Ham at home have really improved. And I've seen they're the only lost two of their last 11 at home in the Premier League, which is impressive. Uh, for Chelsea, I think... They will improve. Potch said it after the game. He's like, first half, we should have had the game nearly dead and buried with a far better team. But they still have a wee bit to go. But, you know, after watching them against Liverpool and uh, obviously West Ham, I think once they get them players into the squad, I, I see a lot of improvements from last year and I see a better manager as well. So I know a point after two games is disappointing, but we've seen with like United last year, they started poorly. And I, I can see them really improving this year. I don't think they'll be they'll definitely not be in twelfth this year. Um but the thing is they have spent what is it, nine hundred million. So they should be up there really challenging, but they're not gonna challenge. But I think uh Chelsea will improve as the season goes on. But for West Ham that is a massive win, especially for David Moyes, who seems to be a bit under pressure, but four points from first two away to Bournemouth at home to Chelsea. Really good going. Um, last year they didn't start very well so it's good to see as you said I didn't think Ward Price was that great but he offers you set pieces he is unbelievable and you know Antonio done un- it was a great goal by Antonio who was just left there up by himself but uh, I actually I think Chelsea you know two games obviously only one point but I'm seeing improvements from them yeah I, I, I've seen improvements from Chelsea as well but look Full credit to to West Ham. You know they, they took the chances that presented themselves to them, and ultimately that's helped them gain three points in the Premier League. Um, so for the last few games, guys, just going to stick to the same format that we that we did last week. Or I'm going to hand you uh, over to the first game, uh, which was last night's match: Arsenal uh, versus Crystal Palace. Arsenal coming out one nil victors through a penalty from Martin Odegaard. So I'll let you take it away, Orn. Yeah, um, a good result in the end for Arsenal, but. Could have went either way. There was refereeing decisions that maybe went Arsenal's way that probably shouldn't. Um, you know, the penalty that Arsenal did get was 
there was no doubt it was a foul from the keeper, but was there obstruction from Thomas Partey? Was Thomas Partey offside in the build up to that go uh, to the build up of that penalty decision? Um, and then you know Ebrejeze danced through the defence of Arsenal as well, and probably could have been given a penalty for for Palace as well. Um, you know, again, just refereeing decisions that are stupid, to be honest, including Tommy Asu's red card. Just you know, never a second yellow card in my opinion. Um, but yeah, Arsenal one nil, done the job. Seen good performances from from uh, Saka once again. Um, another interesting thing is Gabriel still not getting into the team just yet. Um, but yeah, promising signs for Arsenal if they're not playing their best, but still still getting the three points. Yeah, as Miguel Arteta would say, fucking unbelievable, guys. Really good performance. <laughs> It was fucking brilliant, guys. <laughs> fucking unbelievable. <laughs> well, moving it on, I'll take Aston Villa and Everton. Uh, Villa, 4-0 winners within the game. That's eight consecutive home league games now that Villa have won. That is the most that they have done since February 1990. Again, just showing Unai Emery really solidifying and stamping, stamping down there. Uh, we thought they were incredibly poor against uh, Newcastle last week. Well, it was the complete opposite this week. And yes, I know they're they're only playing Everton, but I mean, they turned up this week. John McGinn and Diaby, most attacking sequence involvements with eight. I thought both were absolutely excellent. Watching Diaby and Leon Bailey play was like watching Bayer Leverkusen from like three years ago. So it was great to see those two guys playing well together and getting involved. A 3.1 to a 0.7 XG in favour of Aston Villa. Uh, to be expected and seven shots on target for Villa to, to Everton's too. just highlighting that they're really, really going to struggle this year without a number nine, Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming off injured after 30 minutes. That looks to be him spending another spell on the sidelines. It's not looking good for, for Everton, but plenty of positives for Villa looking more like the Aston Villa that we thought that they would be. Um, so positives for Aston Villa. Connor, Fulham Brentford, 3-0, to uh, Brantford. Just seems as though without Ivan Tony, Visa and Burmo are, are getting the job done, really. Yeah. Um, 3-0 is probably flattering again to Brantford because it was a pretty even game uh, up until Fulham made a, a big mistake. Diop at the back. Uh, the Visa done very well. You know, stay composed, get around the keeper, a good finish. Then Brantford get a penalty that, you know, was soft enough as well. Um, obviously Fulham go down to 10 men and then the game's practically over but you know Mitrovic is going to be a big miss he's away now to Saudi for 46 million uh, but Brentford again a good win uh, four points from their first two games brilliant against London side I've seen they're unbeaten in 11 games against London uh, opposition so for them it is exciting and Tony obviously is a miss but they definitely have the reinforcements to succeed without him and they're just a really well organized side really hard to break down and again it looks like this season they could get a top top off finish yeah really really does really does and oran last game of the game week forced and sheffield united before chris wood scored that goal uh taiwo awaniwi had actually scored nottingham forest's last six goals in a row highlighting just how, how good he has been. A 1.4 to a 0.5 XG in favour of Forrest. And Danilo Aurier and Gibbs-White, all with five attacking sequence involvements, they were the most in the game. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, Aurier was fantastic. You know, two assists. Uh, just if there was ever um, a reason to re-sign Aurier this season, you know, that's what he can do. We, say, we said even at his time at Spurs, 
<laughs> he was a liability, a hundred percent. Um, but and defensively, making be a hundred percent the best all the time. But like he still was a quality player and could always deliver a good ball in, and that's what he done for Forest. Um, for Sheffield United, you know, this was a game that I think they should have been probably looking at, um, thinking they should go and get three points. Um, that these are the types of games against Forest, against their their rivals in terms of Burnley and even uh, Luton Town, you know, they're the games that Sheffield United should really, really be pushing for points. And they did push Forest right until the end, but, um, you know, it, it's just the same signs for Sheffield United. The people do think that they're going to go down this season and, um, you know, they should, be, they should be taking a point there, especially they shouldn't be losing out to, like, a last-minute winner, do you know what I mean? Uh, Chris Wood, brilliant, baited his team in the Nottingham Forest team. Uh, but done the job. Came on with with what he does best, um, winning an aerial ball. Um, Taiwan Iwaniwi, really really good player, really really good player, and I'm, I've been really impressed with him since he's came to the Premier League. Um, and I think he's going to be a really really important player for Forest this year too. One of the highest non-penalty XGs in the Premier League last year was Tayo uh, Awaniwi. So we always said, you know, if he could just find the net, he would be a good striker. And so far, he's doing that. And really. If he has a, a good season this season, you never know. There could be clubs in the top half of the table that maybe want to take a punt on him. Um, so moving it on, lads, finishing it up with our picks of the week. Um, we have something a wee bit different this time around. Oren is not going to be doing OD's opinion anymore. He is actually going to be looking forward to the next game week and trying to pick out our, our, our featured game for the next episode. But Connor, coming to you first, in game week two, who is the player of the week? Yeah, again, it was difficult because obviously Ward Price two assists on his debut. Foden was brilliant. Diaz, I thought, was exceptional. Or as we mentioned, two assists from right back. Uh, Mwemo, you know, two goals, eight goal involvements in his last five games. But it was between Stupinian and Matoma. And I'm going to, Stupinian, obviously, goal and assist from left backs, brilliant. But I'm going to give it to Matoma. His goal was unbelievable. He was involved in practically every goal. Uh, top player. It was his first goal in 13 Premier League games, which I find shocking because, you know, he is involved so much for Brighton. Top player. And I think he got man of the match as well. So I'm going to go with Matoma. Yeah, it's crazy to think his first game in professional football came playing for a Japanese university. And I've seen, you know, especially in our fantasy group chat this week, um, a lot of guys really kind of couldn't believe that Matoma was 26 years of age. You know, I think... Most people in our fantasy chat thought he was like 22, 23, and that he was this this young blossom and talent. But, Oren, it does make you wonder, you know, where the hell did Brighton find these players from in all seriousness? They must just genuinely have the best scouting network in the world. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't even know. Like, 21. At uh, 21, I'm playing in the, Jap- in the Japanese, for a Japanese university, as you said. Like, why would you even be looking there? Do you know what I mean? At 21, you would think, you know, maybe his chance is gone. Like you were seeing them signing all these players that are 16, 17, 18, and they're worldies already. But at 21, like that, that signing to me is mad, but Jesus, how it's paid off something serious. And that loan to, um, I think it was Union Saint-Galise in, in the Belgian League, um, really, really turned him into a, a top quality player. And, you know, we're seeing him, he's one of the best wingers in the Premier League at the minute. I completely agreed. Completely agreed. Connor, I mean, like, really, Brighton just have this sort of knack of 
losing players for big transfer fees, you know, selling players on, getting the correct amount of money for them that they value that player at, and then just able to replace um, straight away. But, you know, when you look at, say, Trossard's time at, at Brighton and Matoma's time at Brighton, look, I know obviously Trossard had, had, a, had a right few years on him, but would you say you've been more impressed with maybe Matoma's impact on the team than the impact on the team that Trossard was maybe having last season? Yeah, Matoma has been brilliant this year. I think Trossard has been was exceptional last year for Brighton too. Before he kind of fell out with the club and went to Arsenal, where he actually has been good as well. But I think Matoma was just more shocking because he came out of nowhere, as we said. You know, he didn't make his debut until uh, he was a bit older, and like he's twenty six. People think he's twenty, as you were saying, boys in the group chat and stuff like that. Um, but Matoma has been brilliant. Maybe he needs to be, you know. Obviously, really exciting to watch. Probably needs, as as I said, one goal in his last 13 isn't really great, but he's really exciting to watch. So maybe more stats-wise, he needs to get, you know, assists and goals, but really exciting player. And I think Trossard, obviously, is a really good player for Brighton. But I've even seen uh, during the week, they were kind of like, Trossard was like, uh, he would start for anybody but Arsenal and City. And boys, Brighton fans were saying he couldn't start for us, you know, towards the end. So uh, with Matoma, like, he's just came in and replaced Trossard and, Really, like he, he's been unbelievable. Yeah, he is. Definitely is. Moving on to my fantasy pick then, lads. I was glad to get off to a good start last week with the Stupinian picking up. I think it was 12 points in total. Uh, his goal is assist. Uh, so thank you, Stupinian, for making me look good for a week um so for my second pick of the week guys i'm going to go for again another player that i think every fantasy player should take a punt on and put in their teams um for the first few weeks of the season uh going with uh yohan visa uh he scored a goal in the first game scored a goal in the second game has looked very influential i know his his compatriot in burmo has scored a few more goals than him um but I just fancy Visa to, to have a game where he maybe scores two and could possibly score a hat-trick. Uh, from, from Tony has left the side and has given those two players a real opportunity to stand up and be counted. And really, I think Visa, out of, out of him and Burmo, because we knew what Burmo could do and we knew how good of a player he was, I think that's why, again, like Connor said about Matoma, there is a wee bit of a shock factor there because Visa was always a decent performer, but I think now we're seeing him perform to just a completely different level. Or in... Really, the, the the makeup of that front two there at Brentford is completely different to the makeup that Tony gave them. There's no sort of physicality in there. It's all speed. It's all technicality. But it is working out for Brentford at the minute. It is, yeah. The, well, it shows how good Tony was because that's two players doing the, the job of one player, usually for Brentford. Um, but yeah, look, they're definitely still missing Tony. I think if you have Tony in there, them two boys are complimenting Tony a bit more but yes we're seeing them as as individuals now and as a duo um but yeah I would be surprised if this scores a hat trick to be honest but um he is performing really really well um in Burmo you know he's in the right place at the right time uh, and we knew his qualities even from the championship do you know what I mean um but yeah but look in the absence of one of the most prolific uh, goal scorers in the Premier League in recent years they're really, really putting on a show for Brentford and keeping them up to the standards that Thomas Frank and now that their fans have for them. You have to believe that he'll score a hat-trick, lad, and that's what I'm doing. I'm full of belief. Connor, uh, just sort of similar sort of question. I mean, you know, yes, I completely agree with Oren, by the way. Tony is still a massive, massive miss for them, but what you would say is Thomas Frank is finding a way without his talisman to still get the best out of this Brentford side, isn't he? 
Yeah, definitely. As I said earlier, um, they're set up very well and they're the top manager. And again, I don't think Vizel get a hat trick, but I did see his fixtures there. They play Bournemouth and Palace, um, two very winnable games. And I think you really need to get a few Brentford players in, to be honest, in the fantasy because they're playing some exceptional stuff and they're scoring goals, five goals in the first two games. So um, if it's not Visa then Mbwemo or, uh, you know, maybe Collins at the back because they are keeping clean sheets they kept a clean sheet as well so I think I think it's a good it's a good pick especially with the fixtures coming up yeah thank you appreciate that um, Oren moving it on then to your new section I don't know what we're actually going to call it will we just call it OD's game to watch or yeah something like that yeah we'll figure it out in post-production yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah my, my uh, game to watch game to watch game to look out for next week um i think it's a pretty obvious one it's at sun it's on sunday at half four it's it's newcastle versus liverpool um look two teams that play good football good attacking football and um, we're going to see we really i think we're going to see the first test of liverpool's new look midfield to be honest against a very strong newcastle midfield um Strong test for both sides, but I think Newcastle will be going in probably the more favourable side for me personally, um, just because, you know, that is a new look uh, Liverpool midfield, and it'll be interesting if Ando starts in that game. Um, and if he does, you know, how will how will he cope with the fast-paced uh, fast football of, of Newcastle? Both teams will be looking for top five qualification to the Champions League. You know, both teams will have a lot of games this season, and I think this comes at a really crucial point of the season for both teams in terms of building points. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you boys think, but I think this is the the standout game for the, for next week. Oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. It's a massive. I would actually say it's a massive test for Newcastle as well, because you know, if they were to come out and get three points against Liverpool, it it only sort of strengthens that idea that you know they are going to push very hard to to once again be class is one of the top teams in England and I'm sure Newcastle will be looking at as a game to kind of stamp that you know last season wasn't just a fluke you know we are consistent performers and we can beat the biggest teams on the biggest stages and really you know there is no well I mean City's the biggest test in the league but I mean there is no bigger test after Man City really than Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool and it's just interesting to see how they're going to match up and what sort of style they play they're, they're, they're the home team so are they're going to look to be the team in the ascendancy. It's going to be interesting to see how Klopp deals with that. What way does he set up? How does he play? Is he happy to play on the break, play on the counter, and use the pace of his magnificent forward players? It's going to be a very interesting game. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the standout game by a mile. Uh, really exciting. It's a big game as well for Newcastle, as was said, um, because if they lose this, they'll be like four points behind Liverpool. Liverpool have a very good record at St James's Park. They beat them last season, even when they were going poorly. Uh, Newcastle really, I think, will go at Liverpool, especially at that midfield. You know, you have Tenali, um, Bruno Gamars and Joe Linton, which is a good midfield. And they'll really, I think they could expose that Liverpool uh, midfield and that actual backline. I think at Arnold as well, they'll really go at him and... I expect Newcastle to win this game, uh, especially with the crowd as well. We know as well, as United fans, it's so tough to go to St. James's Park. Everybody struggles there. So, um, really exciting game though and one to really look forward to. Oh, definitely. Premier League just throws us the best fixtures in world football and 
I mean, every week we will have some game that's going to produce absolute magic. And let's hope it is the Liverpool and Newcastle game next week. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all the interactions on social media. Where we, as always, we very much appreciate it. Um, please go and give us a follow on our social media platforms. It is at Bottom Bins Pod. That's Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And as always, keep it bottom bins. Keep it bottom bins. I got bottom bins.